welcome back for another episode of Clean Tech Talk, where we at Clean Technica interview clean tech leaders from around the world. With topics ranging from electric cars to climate change communication, you can listen to our full podcast series by visiting our website at cleantechnica.com. All right, welcome to another episode of Clean Tech Talk. I am Joe Boris. Zachary Shahan couldn't be here with us today, but Phil Gross, the CEO of Snow Lake Lithium, could be here with us. And uh, Phil, thank you so much for, for being a part of the show and for telling us what you're doing and all that. And welcome. Thank you. It's, uh, it's good to be here. Thank you, Joe, for having me. Yeah, we've been talking now for about 15, 20 minutes. Turns out we have a lot in common as far as, uh, you know, kind of areas we go to and places we've been. But I, I really want to talk about what you guys are doing. So obviously Snow Lake Lithium and you're calling it Snow Lake because you're actually up by the lake, right? You're in, you're in Manitoba. That's exactly right. We are, we are uh, the, the closest town anyway is, uh, is the town of Snow Lake, which is God's country. It's uh, it's a beautiful, you know, uh, a city up there in Manitoba of, you know, just the most fantastic people. Yeah, it, it's a good it's a good area up there now. So for a lot of people who are listening to this, they may not know kind of what you do. So I, I'll try to summarize it and I'll give you a chance to kind of do a better job of that. Right. Because I, I got your deck last night and it, I, I expected four or five pages. I got 40, which is great stuff. But at the end of the day. As we transition to electric vehicles and not only electric cars, but kind of electric bikes, you know, one wheels, airplanes, all of this, the demand for lithium is just soaring and it's going to continue to go up over the 2030s and into the 2040s. And one of the criticisms that has always been leveled against electrified vehicles and EVs in general has been that the production of the batteries, the lithium itself, is often just as damaging to the environment as you know, the, the production of oil and the consumption of oil. There's a lot of reasons why that's not true, but it seems to be a story that really resonates with people who like to criticize EVs. But what you're doing is you're essentially creating a supply of lithium in a mine that is essentially carbon neutral and does no harm to the environment and really just kind of does away with that whole argument. Is that a, kind of a decent summary? That is, that's an excellent summary. Um, and, and Joe, you should come work for us because uh, I think you've, you've really put it out there quite succinctly. I think that the, would involve the, me leaving the house and I'm not going to do it. <laughs> we, we can get you something from the house probably uh, if we get you a shovel. But the, uh, I, I think, I, I think look, the first thing to recognize is that we, it's, it's amazing to be alive today. The innovation uh, that we're seeing is is unprecedented. You know, I, I always growing up, I was always uh, kind of jealous of people who grew up during you know the age of the railroad or you know the, or at the time of the combustion engine came to you know to, to the actual the industrialized the, the industrial revolution. Yeah, I, I was always jealous because it must have been an extremely exciting time. But I wake up today and I realize I think we are in a similar period. I think this is the biggest industrial pivot since you know the railroads. What we're seeing today in terms of electrification. And what's amazing about it, and to me, really, is not just the innovation and the technology and, you know, the human capacity for continuously finding, you know, new ways to pioneer and forefront technology. But it's also that this generation now, the consciousness of environmental impact, which is something that, sure, we've been hearing our whole lives, but it's really was like just talking the talk and not necessarily walking the walk. And now we're we're actually seeing an entire generation of consumers who legitimately feel uh, an, an obligation and a responsibility towards sustainability. 
And it's forcing, you know, it's not just legislation anymore. This is now forcing a dialogue and actual action with regard to, you know, corporations, you know, committing to zero, uh, zero neutrality, to carbon neutrality, to seeing to countries like, you know, with COP26, to committing to, you know, to, to reducing their emissions. And it's become, uh, you know, much more than just a talking point. It's now a real, actual consumer-driven initiative. And I think it's fantastic that we've come to that point on the maturation of society that we're really taking this seriously. It's a really great thing that you're saying here too, because think about it. When I was in college and going to university and everything, this was in the nineties to kind of date myself a little bit. You know, we learned about supply and demand and we learned about as you lower price demand goes up. And it was a very kind of simple supply demand curve. That's not really the case anymore. We now see that consumers are willing to pay a premium price to get something that, as you said, is kind of environmentally conscious, that appeals to their sense of what is right and what the values that they represent are. They will walk right past a, you know, we were talking before we started recording about fair trade coffee. They'll walk past the cheapest, best value, well-known brand to buy something that has that fair trade label on it because they believe in that stated mission, right? So I want to talk a little bit about more about what you're doing and what makes it really so innovative. Now, a lot of listeners probably don't understand what brine lithium is, which is the kind of conventional way that lithium is extracted. Can you do us a little bit of a favor, kind of tell us how it's normally done and what you're doing that's a little bit different, as much as you can, obviously, without any trade secrets being divulged, what you're doing differently to, to kind of put yourself in that no harm space. Sure. So, but to your first point, you know, with regard to the, the consumer today, and, uh, and you're absolutely right. The a premium is, you know, well, that was your point. Pay a premium. <laughs> yeah, no, no. But I, I'm just, I'm just elaborating on that extrapolate. But because the fact is also is that because of, you know, the technology and the advances that we've made, consumers today don't have to completely sacrifice anymore luxury or economics when they're driving an electric vehicle. That's true. Um, which is also incredible. Uh, we've reached a point where there's price parity between a combustion engine, in terms of the manufacturing point, a price parity between combustion engine and an electric vehicle. And it's a desirable item. It's, it's not just a virtue signal anymore. It's literally, a, it's a consumer desired product where people look at that and say, wow, there, you know, there's, there's advantages to a car, not just uh, the environment. But as you say, at the same time, they, um, you know, everybody wants to do something that's responsible and sustainable, especially when, when there's an option available. In, in terms of, you know, the brine versus hard rock argument, which is, I think, um, a debate that's going to go on for quite a few years still. And most, you know, look, taking it back a step, most people didn't know the word lithium outside of, you know, pharmaceutical applications until about two, you know, two years ago. And, and some people even more recently until about the Super Bowl uh, commercials came out. Um, I think that, that really triggered the, 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 the mainstream the public dialogue. conversation. Yes, yes. Yeah, it absolutely did. I see this because this is my, my life every day. So I, I, I can see the difference that, that Monday morning, suddenly there was, you know, a whole, a whole new crew of people who were suddenly talking about, you know, lithium and, and electric vehicles. So you know, it was a pretty much an orphan commodity in that sense. And there's two ways to extract lithium. You can extract it from brine or you could do the old fashioned mining of, of a hard rock, uh, you know, of extra, you know, crushing a rock and getting the lithium out of the rock. The brine, for the most part, we see a lot of that in South America um, because the conditions are right, the salt plains are there, the sunshine is there, et cetera. There's a big debate about the environmental impacts of, of both, te- uh, both techniques. My belief, and, and I'm coming from an extreme point of bias because we are a hard rock operation, but my belief is that ultimately the hard rock is, is going to win that debate 
because the brine has a there, there's a lot of impact in terms of there, there's a diversion of a precious resource which is primarily water so you have a lot of the agriculture community you know having huge issues with it the rancher community and then the local population there's still no consensus as to what impact the brine uh, being re-injected re into the into this in the, the water table, what kind of impact that has on the, the the local water? So there's a huge amount of debate as to whether brine is as environmentally friendly as people suggest it is. But there's no question that we know what the impacts are of old-fashioned hard rock mining. We know it because we've been have, doing it for centuries. literally. Yeah, exactly. You have centuries of thousands of years. Long. Right, thousands of years. So we know what that impact is. So what our mission is is to basically mitigate that impact as much as physically possible. So in our case, that means that first of all, because we're in Manitoba, we have access to a hydroelectric power source, which is 98% renewable. So off the bat, we're, we're coming out with you know, a, a lithium product that is green credentials that are you know, unassailable. On top of that, we are going for a fully electric mining operation. So all there'll be no combustion engines. It'll all be electric mining equipment, which, you know, is we've seen this in one or two gold mines, but it's in lithium, it's unprecedented. The fact is that, again, it's, you know, it's not just about uh, the virtue signaling, if you will, but it's also, it makes sense because we have a cheap power source with the hydroelectric. So we're just, instead of using diesel, we're, we're plugging into that. And when you're mining underground, there are a lot of issues with noise pollution, decibel levels. There's a lot of issues with filtration because of diesel particulates, and you eliminate all of that. And, and that's, you know, so for, so for us, that's, that's a huge beneficial factor, not just the fact that it gives us the green credentials. So we have the hydroelectric power, the green credentials on the electric mining. And then, you know, the final differentiating factor, I think, on the environmental side is that we have access to a railway, a railroad, which gives us complete, you know, it puts us right into the United States with, you know, we like to say we could be from Snow Lake to downtown Detroit a day and a half. Most lithium today is coming, let's say, from Chile to, you know, thousands, tens of thousands, 10,000 miles to China, China back out, you know, into to the final consumer somewhere. So you're talking about nine, 10, 12 months of supply chain, you know, issues. And you're talking about a carbon footprint that, you know, is, is multiples, many multiples of what we're talking about in terms of a railroad straight into a consumer in a day and a half. Right. Now we're talking a little bit about, you know, a lot of the things you're talking about here about electric equipment, about the the 98% renewable hydroelectric, a lot of that stuff sounds great, but you're actually taking a step further than that. You're making sure that not only are these claims that you're being made real, but that they're transparent enough to be seen by everybody, by investors, by the public in general. And you're doing that in order to be certified as a B corporation, which is a, a big part of your deck. Can you kind of tell us what that means and, and why that's so important to what you're doing? Sure. So, and we haven't, fully yet committed to the B Corp status. What we are looking for is the following. When I speak to the guys in the automobile industry, and I'm sure, Joe, you have similar conversations, I think everyone recognizes that it's a question of maybe a year or two before every car is going to have a carbon impact number attached to it. Yeah. Um, so just like you know, calories on a chocolate bar, your, your products are going to have a, a carbon uh, metric attached to you know, on the back of it. And we're seeing this already um, you know, in Europe, you know, Polestar, which is, you know, part of the, I think the Volvo group, they have a, you know, one, one of the leading EV manufacturers here, they just came out with the Polestar Zero. And, you know, that's exactly what they're, what they're marketing to. So I think every car is going to have that requirement attached to it. So the pressure on the supply chain is now coming, you know, from the OEMs pushing down onto the people who are part of that, you know, that ecosystem. So 
I, I, so I, I think what we're, what we're really looking for is a means of verifying our, our credentials. And initially, we looked at the, the B Corp status. We're not 100% sure because in my mind, I do believe that it's a question of, you know, six to 12 months before someone like a Moody's or an S&P or maybe an independent agency comes out with a system and a metric that's agreed upon with consensus that we'll, we, we will be able to achieve that outcome. The B Corp status is a little bit more holistic, and, and we're looking really to focus on the green credentials if we can find a way to verify that. It doesn't exist today. But it's going to that, happen. And that's I mean, an no doubt about to, it. That's an important thing to say. Like when somebody says, "Why don't you have that number?" Because that standard doesn't exist today. And I think that's that's something they that can't I agree. agree. Definitely, coming. they just yeah, they can't, can't agree. agree. Yeah, and they but agree. they will. But they will. You know, they'll they'll get there. It's uh, it's a question of figuring out all the. You know, there's a lot of variables, but we know that what we're proposing and what we're you know the what how what we're going to achieve in terms of our extraction method. I don't think anybody, certainly in North America, will be able to complete compete with us on the green credentials, or probably in the world. Yeah, and and that's awesome to hear. So you're building up this company, you're building up this this process. Are you in operation now, or is that something that is you're going to start crushing rocks here in the next couple months? So no, we're we're, we're probably about uh, at least two years out from actual production. Uh, and it's funny, I was uh, uh, I have uh, my you know my, one of my my nine year old daughter is uh, she was on the internet and she found out what I do for a living. Um, and so she keeps pressuring me. Did you sell any lithium today? And I'm like, no, no, it's still a couple of years to go. And still she's like, well, what are we going to eat? What are we going to eat if you don't sell lithium? And I said, now, you know, the pressure I said coming from you is like, like the investors that I'm getting, you know, it's the same kind of pressure. How much lithium did you sell today? Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, I got to no, go to so, Nordstrom's dad. Where's the money? <laughs> yeah. You know, she was like focused on dinner. Like, how are we going to eat? Um, but yeah, no, the, the, look, the pressure is that the, the landscape is, is this, um, and I don't think people realize this. There's there's 1.4 billion cars in the world today. There's 300 million, let's say, uh, roughly in North America. I think we can agree now that we no longer have to argue about the foundational premise that everything is going electric, whether it's five years, seven years, ten years. It's all going electric. I think that was an argument I had to make a year ago to you know to people, but today I think everyone accepts that. But the question is how fast and how that process is going to play out. So what people do not realize, and Joan, this is really important. How many tons of lithium do you think are mined and processed in the United States or North America today? I, I mean, I would imagine it's a pretty low number. The number is really low. It's like zero. Yeah. <laughs> um, there is no integrated process today in the United States, in North America. There's just none. It's zero. 85% of the world's lithium today is, is controlled by China. China's uh, has got a 10 year head start and, uh, and nobody realized this until very recently. Right. Um, but we they, have, they we it. have the advantage or we have an advantage with what you're doing here in that it is enough lithium to supply North American auto manufacturing for quite some time as I understand it. In, no, in other that, words, that would, no, that, that would not be correct. The, the, today with everything on the drawing board in North America, ourselves included, I you know, I, I, I see that the, there's a dramatic shortfall and there's a major disconnect in terms of, you know, when you talk about your supply and demand metrics, it's a major disconnect in terms of timing. So, you know, even if you look at some of the conservative figures, they talk about a 90% increase in lithium production over the next five years, but a 472% increase in demand from the EV industry. And, and those numbers are, you know, based on a linear extrapolation. So it's not really correct because how many cars can they sell? The answer is how many car, you know, how many uh, cars can they get off the manufacturing line? So um, it's it's a it's a crazy exponential uh, yeah, figure. It's I mean, a limited know, edition 40, and limited by how many they can sell. 
that's where we're at today, which is unbelievable because, uh, you know, a year or two ago, uh, we, we were, it was a question of let's bring out an electric line and see how it goes and whatever. But then Ford goes, you know, uh, last year and puts out the F-150 and they had to close the waiting list within days because it was gone. There is no, there are no F-150s. And then, no, the you know, demand the, is so, there. Uh, they were saying at General Motors, you know, they had this hundred and what is it? $115,000 GMC Hummer. And they said, oh, you know, initial year, we'll probably do five to 10,000 of them. They sold 65,000 reservations. And of those reservations, 95% converted to purchase. They're sold out and, through 2024. And those, uh, those cars are selling, people are flipping them for 100% profit. Oh, uh, and, at least. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And those yeah. are, I mean, it, it, it's incredible numbers. And the fact that we've we've gone from, you know, and, and he's a lovely guy. I've talked to him before, but you know, we've gone from Ed Begley jr. Running around in a glorified golf cart to a thousand horsepower GMC Hummer that gets the equivalent of 55 miles per gallon. Like the technology, as you said, at the start of this, we really are living in kind of a golden age of horsepower performance technology and autonomous driving as well. You know, the, the old 12 volt electrical systems that were driven in these V8 or V12 cars, they didn't put out enough juice to power all of the software and, and sensors and CPUs needed to get these things to drive themselves. I mean, we're living in a time where not too long from now, your nine-year-old, my seven-year-old, we can put them in a car and say, okay, go to the park. And then at three o'clock, the car starts honking. Okay, time to go home. They get back in the car. The car drives them back home. And that's going to be normal. It's going to completely change the way my grandmother would get around. You know, she would just get in the car and the car takes her to wherever she's going to go. And my only regret about that is the fact that by that time, my kids will be um, out of school and I will, you know, I, I'll miss the opportunity to <laughs> skip the school run because that would be awesome if I could stick them in the car in the morning and say, have a good day in school. I would, you know, I, I'm going to be, I'm going to be very upset about the yeah. fact that we, well, that, that's that a whole culture. That's a whole culture thing here in Chicago. You got to, when you go to the drop-off line, that's how, you know, you know, how you're doing compared to the other neighbors. Like, oh, dropping off in a Subaru must not be going so good <laughs> this year. Oh, you got a Mercedes now. Hmm. That's fantastic. That's a whole cultural no, no. thing that we're going to miss out on. I'm never going to go to school again. My kids are never going to drop off their kids. It's going to be great. Well, there you go. So it's something to look forward to. I, <laughs> exactly. I would, I would really, but really well. But, but you know, going to that point, what people don't realize is that there's an existential threat to the North American automobile industry because of the lack of raw materials. It's great that Ford spent seven billion dollars building out the infrastructure to manufacture an F-150 that's fully electric and can be a generator for your house when power outage, et cetera. It's amazing technology, but the raw materials to manufacture those for the next decades does not today exist in the North America supply chain. And what China ambition is, is phenomenal. People should really get a look at what they've done because they've spent 10 years building out the entire you know, supply chain ecosystem for the EV industry. And China has no interest in selling lithium or batteries to no, they want the to North keep American market. Phil, th- this is good stuff. And I-, I actually want to talk to you about doing a totally separate episode about that existential threat based on that supply. We're running out of time today, but I, I think it's a great show. I'd love to do this again with you if you're open to it. But Absolutely. you know, in-, in the minute or two that we have left, let's do this. What can we do? What can the people listening here today, what can they do to kind of support what you're doing, follow along? I mean, does a lithium mine have an Instagram account? What? <laughs> what? How can we no. back you up and-, and kind of like be here for you? 
Well, we actually do have a Twitter account, uh, Snow Lake Lithium, and um, we, we try to be active on there in terms of providing updates with regard to you know what's going on on the site and the drilling that's happening there now and all the work that's taking place to get it ready for you know for the mining operation in uh, about 24 months from now. So you know, you know there is that. What I think is you know I think people need to really reach out in general. I mean, look, the governments have been trying to play catch up now. Um, there's been a lot of work on that front, um, you know, to see, you know, what, what the, the landscape looks like and how we can start to compete, you know, more, more fairly on that. But a lot of it is uh, a little bit too late and a little bit too much talk. So, you know, for instance, there's, I'm sure you've seen there's a lot of discussion about recycling batteries. That's like a huge initiative from, you know, the White House last month. Um, let's, let's recycle batteries. We don't have a batteries to recycle. We don't have a generation of, of yeah. you know, it takes 10 years till you have the first generation that's going to be phased out. We don't have that. The only thing we have to recycle today is, uh, you know, is, is maybe Chinese batteries. So we need to really focus on getting our supply chain secured. And we've seen this with all the geopolitical shocks that we've had over the past you know, month or so. We've seen this with the supply chain disruptions. We've seen why it's great to have a globalized economy, but we also need to, certain things we need to secure domestically. Um, and when I say domestically, I mean within the North American range, because there is a lot of, you know, people don't realize, but we're pivoting now from a fossil fuel dependent economy um, with all the geopolitical entanglements of the Middle East to a becoming a, a lithium economy. And now we're going to be, you know, entanglements with, you know, uh, with, with China and, and, uh, and competing with the whole world who are looking for the same resources that we are. I'd like to invite everyone listening today, get on your favorite podcast app, whether that's through Apple or Spotify or SoundCloud or whatever it is, get on there, go to Clean Tech Talk and hit subscribe, and then tune in for part two of this awesome interview with Snow Lake Lithium. We're going to explore that existential threat that's facing North American car makers. And, uh, you know, we'll see if Phil can help us understand what's coming next in the world of EVs. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to Clean Tech Talk. Join us next time to get your electric fix. If you would like to sponsor our podcast, send us an email at accounts at cleantechnica.com. That's A-C-C-O-U-N-T-S at cleantechnica.com. Thanks. Walk, 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 walk,